Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 10 of the Grad Life podcast. With me tonight, I'm very excited to have Reese Thomas, who's had a very colourful career to date, um, and we're going to learn all about what's driven him over the past, say, 10 years of working. So, Reese, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, let's start with uni. What did you, where did you go to uni? Sydney University. Ah, Sydney Uni, okay. And studied commerce of some sort? No, um, I studied a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Arts. So, nothing to do with anything. Right, okay. Yeah. So, arts being... Well, the, um, the arts degree, I majored in political science and economics. Right. Um, and the science degree, I majored in psychology. Right, okay. And, like, all through that, I studied French, but have forgotten every single thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what was the goal then? So there, that, that's quite a broad spectrum of subjects. Yeah, I think for whatever reason, I wanted to join the diplomatic corps when I left school. Right. Because I thought it'd be cool, i get to travel around the world, speak different languages, meet cool people, and just sort of see the world. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to university, I truly discovered beer, uh, and I truly discovered chasing women unsuccessfully. Right. Um, which is great because when you fail, you can go to the pub. And... Oh, don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was a, it was a really really fun time because I got to I got to go to university with some really close mates of mine from school. Right. Which, in hindsight, wasn't a great thing, um, because I, I didn't really get to meet new people. I had my own click and it was quite an easy transition yeah. to university. My school was like that as well. Yeah. Um, the lads all kind of stick together and close off and in hindsight, and at the time it's great because yeah. you're very comfortable but mm. in hindsight I regret doing it for sure. Yeah, I mean, like there are some, I do have some friends that I've stayed um, in contact with since university and uh, great friendships but had I not had that safety net with my friends, I think I would have made more. Yeah, same, friends. for sure. Did you get involved in the societies and that sort of thing? Yeah, so I, um, I was part of, oh, I was part of the, the SUDS, Sydney University Drama Society. Right, for like okay. A couple of weeks and just absolutely hated it. Um, and then uh, me and my friends, well, particularly one of my friends, Alex Howes, he was super into drama and super into acting. Uh, and we did drama back in high school together as well. We did a drama tour overseas. Right. It was really, really exciting. But um, he started acting in all the university reviews. So at the end of every year, every faculty has a production that they put on. So the engineering faculty will do like little comedy skits. Right. And everyone does the same sort of thing. And traditionally, the arts review is the most interesting and fun. Yeah. And all the Sydney University ones, a lot of those guys that are in those reviews will go on to become actors in Australia and overseas, and they're all quite famous. Right, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was in one of those, I think it was 2014 or... Oh, no. What, how long ago was that? 2009. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. I think you flatter yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I do moisturise, so I might... Um, so at that point, you're very open-minded by uh, virtue of the, the, the things you were studying and also you're doing suds and, and drama on the side. Yep. With the art faculty's uh, production every year being mm. quite a big deal, mm. was a lot of your focus then on acting as opposed to what you were studying? No. Like, um, was, were you intense about it then? No, not at all. No, that was like a, a one-off thing, but it, not a one-off thing. I, was, I went back every single year and was supportive of all the people that were right. around because they're all my friends, but... I kind of, I didn't care about university as much as 
my parents probably wanted me to, and as much as I saw some of my other friends who were studying law or medicine or yeah. um, commerce, for instance, I used university as a vehicle to meet other people and to just learn about everything I could get my hands on. I did archaeology for six months. Right. Just because I wanted to. Yeah. I did geology as a result of that, and I did maths. I'm, I don't like maths, but I did maths because I thought it'd be kind of cool to know how to like do algebra properly. And, yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. I spent most of my time having beers at Manning Bar with my good friend Alex. Right. But, but, uh, you, but you did have this very open mind as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, it sounds like you went through then what I wish I went through then and what I actually went through only in, in probably about two years ago for a year and a half or yeah. a year. Okay. Where you just try out a load of different things. And I really wish I did that when I had the time in, in college or uni instead. I, I, that's the thing I loved and my dad gave me some really good advice um, I don't know if it's good advice and if there's any academics listening to this I'm sorry but he was um, he said to me if you do if you get 51 out of 100 for the end of year in the mark, HSC so. no for every university course that I was oh, doing right. uh, for every semester then you've done just the right amount of work no way <laughs> yeah well, thankfully, I think the first nine episodes scared off all the academics. But right, okay. So, like, well, there's there's yeah. your influence then, I guess. This open-minded dad saying, "Go and explore," and you know, just plod along with the academics. But yeah, don't um, stress too much. And that was a great influence. He he he, um, finally not got kicked out of university when he was younger um, right. for some technical reason. But he never, neither of my parents ever finished university. Right. So I was the very first person in the Thomas line to yeah. get a degree. So I think they were fairly chuffed about that. But at the same time, Dad was super realistic. He's a journalist from way back. Okay. So he's been in and out of the traps, working with people who never had any degrees whatsoever, yeah. are just really talented at writing. Mm. And he's a big believer, and I am too, and if you have the talent, you don't necessarily need a piece of paper to tell yeah. other people that. Um, but it freed me up to do a whole lot, a bunch of other stuff while I was there. Yeah, that's I, very cool. I got to work, and as a result... I would earn a bit of money and I would use that money to go and travel for like a week or two wherever I could with my best friends. Yeah. What do you work at? Uh, well, I started working, it was, this is boring, but I was like data administration at an insurance company right. at one point. Um, friend of mine, Alex, who I mentioned earlier, um, him and I started a t-shirt company. Really? Yeah. So we, <clears throat> this was again showing my age, but like almost, I don't want to say pre-internet, but like, um, we had to go and source this t-shirt press from Russia because we, the, there was a, a bloke up in Newcastle who was selling them for about 4,000 bucks a pop and we obviously as uni students had no money at that yeah. point. So we found this website online all in Russian and we're like translating it with the help of a friend of ours um, who spoke Russian um, or he, sorry, could read, I think it's Cyrillic, whatever the language is. Right. And ended up, I would be on the phone to this Russian woman who could speak English, thankfully, and she had the most soothing voice I've ever heard in my entire life. And I'm positive that's what convinced me to eventually buy this t-shirt press. <laughs> so I spoke to her over the course of a few weeks, right. the time zone difference. We ended up buying this t-shirt press and making t-shirts and coming up with our own designs and making them for friends and selling them and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, where did you get the foreground? So no, we, the, we ended up buying this for like, thousand or two ah, right, okay. dollars right um i ended up getting the money from a mixture of the data admin that i was doing for the insurance yeah. company 
Uh, I used to work at a delicatessen all through university as well. My right. local cons delicatessen up in Beecroft. Right. Um, and picking and packing like magazines for my dad. Wow, so you did a fair bit of uh, I other worked jobs in, in uni. almost full-time while I was at university. Yeah. I didn't... I got... Oh, I, I'm sorry, Sydney University, um, if you're listening, but I have my psychology degree without ever attending a psychology No lecture. way. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Well, two things... We, we won't learn from that, but two things we will learn from. Mm. Uh, starting getting the T-shirts going, that could have gone... Tits up, or it could have mm. gone really well. You were 22, it didn't matter which way you went. Exactly. That was a really good thing to do, I think. And secondly, mm. something I noticed in Australia. So in Ireland, if you're working during uni, you work in like a pub or mm. basically a pub or a restaurant. Like, that's it. Nobody does kind of uh, career-building jobs, or very few people do. Yeah. I notice in Sydney, a mm. lot of people do. So, like, I had a uni student working with me uh, both in Macquarie Bank and in Google. Like, they give, they give it a crack, and they mm. just say, okay, give me half a week's work and I'll do that on top of my uni. Yeah, and they end up being much busier, say, than a lot of Irish students, but mm. they have better CVs coming out of uni as well. I think that's a really good idea that I've seen so. down here. Yeah. Um, I, that didn't, was not even on my radar. I, I just thought I wanted money because I wanted to go and buy things and yeah. I wanted to experience the world. And unfortunately, that's one of the only ways you can do it yeah. sometimes. And yeah. But in hindsight, again, I would be in a very different place in my career had I done an internship. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot. Well, I think the career's gone pretty well. Um, in fact, let, let's move into it. So you started off, you went out of uni into IBM. Why IBM? I, at the end of university, I just applied for every single company that had a graduate program. Right. Um, and that ranged from IBM through to Mars Corporation. Right, okay. Um, Coles, a couple of banks, all that kind of stuff. And what were you applying for? Coming from an arts degree mm. with psychology, yep. you weren't the finance guy, you weren't no. the sales guy. Like, what were, you, what were you applying for here? General graduate roles. So, okay. at, some, at banks, they will have finance specialist roles, and yeah. they only will draw from the commerce pool of yeah. people. Um, but I think a lot of companies now are respecting the fact that you don't, if you just have a commerce degree, you actually don't have that well-rounded a mind at the end of that. You're super intelligent at what you do, which yeah. is commerce, but you haven't experienced the weird like idiosyncrasies that come as a result of learning archaeology and make you think really differently about the world. Yeah. Like, so all the companies at that point that I was applying for like, um, were, had these generalist roles. Mm. So I applied for a whole bunch of these, um, got a couple of offers back, Mars, um, offered me a role which right. is kind of, kind of, I love chocolate yeah. um, and I thought this would be a really really cool job um, but unfortunately they had offered me a job in the pet food division so it wasn't Coles was another one um, St George IBM and I can't remember probably a bunch of other ones right. and I when I told my parents this um, that both of them immediately said IBM without any hesitation they both said you should give IBM a crack out of all of these ones. And I didn't really understand which company was going to be better for me. Yeah. You're still young at that point. Like, yeah. really, to this day, I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know why they were so adamant, but I took their advice and I said, yeah, okay, I'll just go with the IBM one. The, the pay seemed okay and the location was great. But IBM, back when they were growing up, was Google. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So if you worked at IBM... Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, whenever it was, like, you were set. That you was the place set. to be, yeah. Absolutely. 
So to them, it's like if I had a kid now and they got a job at Google or Facebook and then another job working at the local supermarket, I'd be like, are you kidding? Like, yeah. go and work there. Yeah. So that was, that was chalk and cheese for them. Right, okay. And was the money, so that's a lot of offers. Was the money different between them? And did you consider that? <clears throat> Um, money was actually fairly similar between all of them. Yeah, like between, they tend to be with grad, grad schemes. Yeah, um, and the grad schemes, they all, at that point, were offering a range between 50 and 60 grand, I think. Right, okay. Which I think is the same now. I'm not yeah. Sure, well, w- one thing I think about that, mm. I don't think money should play a role in a grad's decision. The but money grads, you're making at 22, but yeah, they, it matters to them then. Yeah. But if they're thinking in the long term, they should really be looking at an educational path or what's going to line up most. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking the money, but I wouldn't overemphasize it, basically. See, I just, I Unless you disagree, do you? Well, this goes into something that I think about anyway. Um, I think we have life completely backwards. Right. I think that when you're young, you absolutely should be learning and you should be going to university and studying, but you should also be traveling the world and like not have the responsibility of a nine-to-five job. Yeah. And that word responsibility is negatively laden because you have the responsibility to someone else to make money, more money for that company than you make for yourself. Yeah. And a company with that, you have all the stress that's involved with that and like your life deteriorates as a result of it. Your relationships deteriorate because sometimes work takes over. Yeah. But then when you get to the age of 60... All of a sudden, you don't have to do anything because you are that, well in Australia anyway. That's the retirement age, essentially. Yeah. So then, that's when you travel, and that's when you experience the world, and that's when you do all the cool things, which as a young person, you would do so much differently, and you would learn so much about the world. So at the point when you've lived your life in my reverse world right now, you've lived your entire life up to the age of say forty or fifty, and you've been living, and you've been experiencing, and you've been like learning other languages or whatever it might be. Yeah. That's when you start working. Imagine the wealth of experience and knowledge you have as a person starting work at the age of 40 or 50, having just lived and experienced the world and learned and done courses at university and all that kind of stuff. I I think if I have a company that's employing people at that point, I will absolutely be employing people who have lived their lives at the ages of 40 or 50. Okay, I love this. Let's keep going with it, okay? (laughs) The rebuttal to that, and I really like that idea. The rebuttal to that is we're young now, we're in our 20s, we say, oh, I have so much energy, I don't want to sit at a desk, I want to go travel mm-hmm. South America. Yeah. And the 60-year-old that you're talking about employing then, mm. sure enough, he has, has, say he's lived it all or, or mm. whatever, he's thinking, I don't have the energy for the work anymore, I yeah. just want to put my feet up. Yeah. And so the employers want to hire the people who have the energy and not the people who are already kind of cooked and just want to put their feet up, you know? Mm. And so... I don't know, are, they, are we incentivized to go the other way? The rebuttal to that. Yeah, keep, keep it coming. <sighs> I, and this is a philosophical argument now. I it think, is, absolutely, yeah. That, what, what is life about? And I don't think anyone truly has the answer. But no. um, for me, my, my idea about what I think life is about right now is, is living and enjoying and, and meeting new people and loving the people around me um, and experiencing the world. And I want to do that with energy. I want to do that with excitement. I don't want to be 60. And not just to say there aren't 60-year-olds out there who have more energy than 20-year-olds. Yeah. There are. But um, on the whole, you as a, biologically, I think, have a lot more energy when you're younger. So yeah. I, I don't want to be... 
slowly creaking my way around the world when I'm 60 or 70. I want to do it now. Mm. Um, but again, that's what I think life should be about. And that's, that's a perspective that not many people on this planet yeah. can share because of, I, I'm quite privileged right now. Um, but that's the perspective I have as well. As yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely, uh, <coughs> definitely an interesting take. And it's an idealist take. It is, yeah. Which, it's a hedonistic take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. no, I, I do. I really like it. I don't know. Well, then, but then you have reality. And that is you need somewhere to live. You mm. have to pay for that. You need somewhere to eat. Uh, or something you have to eat things so you have to pay for that and so all the realities start to come back in and you need a job yeah do you know do you know what i think the obstacle to it is mm. biology or mm. hang on it, it plays into a kind of half-baked version of your idea so mm. say we're not say 40 when we start working but we're 30 when we really put the foot down because i think i'm starting to get a sense that biology kicks into gear mm. this kind of build instinct in a person okay and come late 20s or early 30s or early 20s whenever it might be it's different times for different people mm. i'm starting to feel this instinct to build and whether it's build a company build a legacy build a mark build a family build just yeah. anything like i think eventually biology has it that a person wants to mm. build of themselves rather than just be a part of a small part of something does that make sense or it am does. i describing that well no yeah absolutely and i, I wonder if we travel around until the build thing kicks in and you say okay now I'm going to start making whatever it is that my life is going to be about I, I, I agree with that completely I think the the problem is that a lot of people don't realise what they want to build until yeah. it's potentially too late Yeah. and I also am of the, the mind that if you know what you want to build at the age of 16 that's great and you might be one of these prodigies that just does everything from yeah. your age, but you're right. I think there is a certain age at which that like desire should kick in, and if it doesn't at that point, I'm not sure what that what else there is for you. Yeah. If you don't want to have a kid by the age of say 35, biologically you can't. Like, and I know that men can further on. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the average age gap between men and women who are married and have kids or who aren't married and have kids is only like three or four years. Yeah. Right? So there's that. The, the, the desire to build a home, the desire to build a career is always there because it goes back to my first point because that's what society tells you to do. You have yeah. to have a career to have a leader fulfilling life, which I disagree with, but that's another thing. Can we, delve, can we just scrap the whole normal uh, yeah. uh, structure and just go with that? Yeah. Career to... So my thing is, A, the build thing is starting to kick in with me, I feel. Yep. And okay. I think it's going to be a while before I really enact on it, and particularly with the family stuff. But mm -hmm. you, if I just get this instinct to say, okay, what is it that we're about here? What are we mm -hmm. going to leave here for whenever um, time is up? And I have this thing about now, you talked earlier about leaving a, leading a hedonistic life, which is just, <laughs> say, traveling around. Yeah. And I, I view that as taking from the world. And even if you're not, yeah. like, nothing about carbon footprint or anything like that, but mm -hmm. you just take what the world has to offer and you enjoy it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But one thing I think a lot about is uh, what you can contribute. Mm. And my whole thing is about contribution. That's what I'm kind of, this idea that I'm obsessed with. And I'm, yeah. I'm fully sure that for myself, maybe for others, but definitely for myself, I can get more enjoyment and fulfillment out of my contributions than out of my hedonistic consumption. Um, I, not to turn the interview around, 
But the question that I'm hearing from that is, is that that you want to have something to contribute to the world and then sit back and be proud of it? Or do you want people to look at your contributions and be proud of them on your behalf? On my behalf. Be proud of it. Yeah. So my whole thing, I'm happy to say, is health driven. Mm-hmm. And any time something goes wrong with my heart, yeah. and if I'm lying on the ground in the gym in January, I'm thinking, mm. if it all blew up now, what would what it have been about? Yeah. And I need it to have been about something mm. meaningful to more than just myself. If it, had, if it were to be about mm. fantastic parties and great trips and lovely beaches, yeah. that wouldn't be enough because only I'm getting served by that. I like the idea mm. of my life having been about a contribution to a lot more people than just me. I, that resonates with me, but I, the reason why I ask that was yeah. I have this desire to leave a legacy. It's obsessed with that idea. Yeah, go yeah, on. Okay. And that's why I asked the question was that I, I, I do things for me first and foremost, and I do things for the people I love. Yeah. Right. But then after that, at like what you just said then, um, not that I have the same um, condition like lying on the floor in the gym in yeah. January sort of thing, but at the end of it all, what have I actually contributed? What have I done? Have I changed the world? Even slightly, have I made the world a better place? Um, and I think, yeah, like very small circumstantial evidence would point to that. Like I, I make some people happy around me. I enjoy the company of others and hopefully they feel the same way about me. But yeah. I, what what I have is this idea that I want to somehow be one of the Einsteins of the world or be one of the um, inventors, you know, yeah. and, and change things. But at some point, I think I have to accept that that's not me and I have to contribute to the world in another way. And I don't know what that is yet. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to make the world a better place. Because, unfortunately, I think, again, in the society that we live in, everyone's told that, yeah, you're going to be great. You're going to, you're going to be a billionaire when you grow up and everything is possible for you. And it is, but there does come a point where that's not reality anymore. Yeah. A new reality comes in and then you can, you can charge forward with that reality with gusto and with energy. But I think there's a disconnect. People still have this idea that they can be that you know, Donald Trump um, yeah. Figure, okay, I have three things to say to that. Okay. Uh, I'm loving this. Three things to say. <laughs> First one's very quick. Think about to your last point of eventually you have to settle for reality, and I mm. put that in. Uh, what are these called? Inverted inverted commas. Yeah, yeah uh, reality and inverted commas. Because think of Jack Ma, who was a teacher until he was thirty, and then he founded Alibaba. Yep. Uh, second thing I would say, I believe that everybody how many people in the world seven billion mm-hmm. that is seven billion individual shades of color yeah. that can be painted on the canvas of the world i think every single person has something unique to offer mm. and very 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 few people actually offer it yeah. and i think the reason for that is the first would be confusion and that stops a lot of people they just don't know how to offer it mm. but i think a lot of people do and it's courage that stops them from doing it from expressing themselves and expressing that unique color that they can. And then to the point of, because I think a lot of people will relate to what you're saying here about, I know I can do something big, but I just don't know what it is Mm. and where it can be. My kind of take on this is that, and it's funny that we were talking about Shakespeare earlier. Mm -hmm. My take on this is that we live life in three acts. Act one is exploring and seeing what it's all about and finding where you fit into this mad jungle that is world and society and etc 
and career fits into that. And act two then is, and I guess act one finishes with you finding your canvas, finding, okay, this is where I fit in and this is where I can possibly paint my colour, have leave a mark, whatever. Mm. Act two then is actually leaving the mark. It's, it's building the sculpture, it's painting the painting, whatever you want to call it. It's expressing the unique colour that you're able to express onto the canvas mm. and you do that maybe for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. Act two, all the acts are um, not limited by time or age or anything like that. We all enter and exit them at our own times mm -hmm. and then act three is for me i can imagine it being or, uh, dedicated to family yeah and then kind of contributions in other ways and that sort of stuff but enjoying the sculpture so act one you picture the little boy running around looking for where he fit, fits in act two you picture the sculpture being built and act three you picture the boy sitting there with his family around him and his sculpture that he's completed and that he's proud of by his side yeah. and for me that's a three act life that makes sense and i think people in act one freak out because they're thinking god my friend just entered act two I'm like what i'm going through right now i see a lot of my friends getting engaged and yeah. having kids mm -hmm. and i'm like jesus they're all having kids like what am i i, I, I don't feel stressed out by it but mm -hmm. i know a lot of people do and i know they're feeling god what's my life about if there's about that yeah don't you know there's no rush out of act mm -hmm. one if you're if you're good at like being good at act one Mm. isn't moving on to act two fast that's not what act one is about True. act one is finding definitely exploring thoroughly what it is that you are about that you can offer mm. and if you've done that well by the age of 35 it took you to 35 to get out of act one if you've done that well by 35 you are way ahead of the person who did it poorly by 25 yeah, I think I would agree with that. So that they were the three little things I wanted to say on on yeah. your spiel, but that's <laughs> kind of a, that is the way I think about this stuff. I like that. Um, and in before you finished that just then, I was thinking: Are there certain ages at which you need to be progressing through these different acts? But there are some people who are probably going to be in Act One for the rest of their lives. But absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. And you know what? We need them. I was on them yeah. um, before I joined Google. I was in. Uh, Western Australia I did it for I travelled there for uh, two and a half weeks with my uh, then girlfriend mm -hmm. and then I went up to Broome on my own for the last week nice and I met this guy he looked about 45 and I went over and started talking to him mm. he was I still remember he was 62 his name was Dan he was from somewhere in America half the year he lived in that place in America mm. uh, growing weed and working in a beer brewery and the other half of the year he spent in Indonesia with his, I think, 22-year-old girlfriend and smoking the weed. Great. <laughs> and he was never going to leave Act 1. He had no. no intentions of leaving Act 1. But he was a work of art, that guy. He was so unique. Hmm. And he belonged in Act, one, in Act 1. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he made me think life about differently and, or think about life differently. And yeah. if I end up having a meaningful Act 2, he will have played a small part in that because he made me think hmm. differently about my act one and exploring thoroughly. And so everyone has their part to play. And yeah. you know, being an actor, that an extra in a scene can be just as important as the main character mm -hmm. because the extra makes that scene re realistic or contributes to it in whatever way. Yeah. But A, I guess less than there, appreciate the extras. Mm -hmm. But B you don't have to move out of any given act. You could be made for a certain act. And yeah. like, 
Jesus, Dan was a master of Act 1. I've never seen anyone tackle Act 1 like him before. <laughs> and we need masters of different roles, I think. There was actually a, a movie that I watched the other day um, on the flight back from Queenstown. It was um, called The Founder. Brilliant movie. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And I love him as an actor. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's the McDonald's story for those listening. Yeah. Yes. And watching that ties into what we're saying now. Yeah. He was, what, 56? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. When yeah. he made McDonald's what it is. Yeah. And he, was he floundering at that point? He had yeah. a lot of misses, right? Massively, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's described in the movie that although, even though he had a lot of misses, he was your quintessential on-the-road salesperson. Yeah. And he still made sales, and he still put a roof over him and his wife's head. But he looked like, um, you know, in The Simpsons, old Gil. Old oh, Gil. Old Gil can't get a sale. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of the real-life version of that. You're like, oh, the yeah. poor guy, 56, he's still hacking as a salesman. I know. And then, bang. But that, that actually, when I watched that, I really enjoyed that movie because uh, as a salesperson myself, um, I, I, I loved him chasing the sale and closing the sale and I was getting a buzz just watching him do yeah. that. Um, but what, actually, what I took away from that movie more than anything was the fact that you don't have to make be successful when you're 20 and 30 and if you're not, then you're a failure. Yeah. You can be successful all the way through until, you're, until the day you die. Do you want to know something I got from that movie? Now that you mention it, yeah. the the scene I remember the most that I love, you know, where he has them all out on the basketball court, yeah, and he has it drawn out. This is what the kitchen's going to look like. Mm-hmm. You walk, like say, uh, guys, they're talking about the guy making chips or yeah, fries, yeah. and he has to walk from A to B, from like the oven to the fridge in one point five seconds. And if he does it in one point seven, it's a screw up. He has to do it again. Yeah. And what that scene taught me, it taught me a lot of things, like mm. the precision required, but look at it and think 56 he was a salesperson until he realized he's actually a founder yeah the detail with which he pursued that project and lay out that kitchen Mm. that's the skill of a founder not a salesperson and he was maybe he was a good salesperson but he was obviously an outstanding founder and so he only found his real calling he only found Mm. uh, the chisel with which he would create his masterpiece at the age of 56 and that was his stay Act 2, yes? That was his... I think he, he entered Act 2 at 56. Yeah. Okay. He, he only found his calling at 56. He yeah. only found a thing he was really going to do. Like, that's remarkable. Some people just never... That's, I, I think, going back to your Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, I don't think a lot of people just never get out of Act 1. Yeah, I don't think... I, I think, they uh, think de- they're in decreasingly yeah. they do. I think less people will get out of Act 1 now than, than probably used to. Yeah. Um, Act 1 is made so easy for us now. I know, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's, my kind of, that's, that's my kind of take on it. Yeah. Well, it, it did sort of... Every time I say something like that, um, I get renewed energy to go and focus more on my, you know, my side project. Okay, let's talk about it. So I thought you'd like, probably ask about Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. So you worked, let's just skip through the stuff like you didn't really enjoy. Um, <laughs> okay. To IBM onto... Oh, yeah, didn't yeah, IBM, okay, just tell me what, what was bad about it. Um, it. I went in as a generalist. Right. So they had a bunch of generalist roles. Um, and they stuck me on this backwater, I shouldn't say backwater account, it was one of the biggest accounts they had. Right. Um, and I ended up doing, being an auditor. So I was auditing this particular account 
and counting literally how many computer screens IBM was providing for this. Oh God. It was horrible. Yeah. And at that time I had the most horrible boss. I like just, I did not like him at all. Um, what was his name? Paul. Paul Martich. Uh, Paul has actually signed up for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to say this because we actually now have a really lovely friendship now. Oh, right. Um, and a lot of what I've learned in my career actually comes from Paul. Right, fair enough. Um, but at the time, I was like, this guy is an ogre. I don't want to be here. He's yeah. making my life miserable. And to be fair to him, I was transferring a lot of my like unhappiness with working full-time, I think, yeah. to him. Um, but um, he taught me the value of really, really good, hard, consistent work and getting things right the first time and perfecting everything that you do. Right. Um, and it's easy in a job with, that I was in at that point where you, I was filling out spreadsheets, I was counting things. So I have to be right. If mm. I'm wrong, then the whole account is screwed and they're yeah. going to redo everything. So if I don't get it perfect the first time, then it makes everyone else's life a lot harder. Um, and I was kind of cool. Looking at the time, I hated it, and I went. I was going home. I was like going back and having dinner with mum and dad, and like almost in tears every Jeez. now and then. Um, but now, after that, we actually went out for dinner like three weeks ago. Right. And it was amazing. Caught up with him. It was like all times. So you appreciate it in hindsight. I think that that's true. Probably of a lot of grads where mm. they think their boss is uh, a prick. <laughs> yeah. But that person would have been put on the grad because they're probably likely to be the best at dealing with the grad. It's just that the grad wouldn't appreciate what they're doing for them at the time. Exactly. And I didn't. Yeah. Until I got my next job at Google, I was like, I, all the stuff that I learned working for him, yeah. I employed when I was working at Google and it just made the world of difference to me. Yeah. And Google then, you're in the new business team for how long? Um... Well, I was in that team my whole time, so three and a bit years. I three think. and a bit years, okay. Yeah. And um, why did like, I guess, the quick to the question, why did you leave Google? Well, like a lot of people think, oh, why would you leave Google? But we um, have a reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Um, I have always wanted to act and be an actor and be a full-time actor and put a roof over my head as a result of acting. You're right. And not many actors get to do that. Yeah. In fact, the majority of people who are who call themselves actors never get to do yeah. that. Um, and so I thought to myself, I've I've built up a a, a savings uh, bank that I can use and live off to pursue my dream of acting. So uh, I initially the the last the previous sorry the the last six months at Google, my intention was to quit. Right. At the end of that six months, I was leading up to that Christmas period and I thought, that's going to be a good time. I was speaking to my manager about it and yeah. everyone was super supportive and really cool about it, as most you know, Googlers are. Yeah. Um, and I, during that time, I started getting pinged from a couple of these startups over in Silicon Valley. Because right. I obviously reached a certain point for them where they were like, okay, this Googler who's in sales in Sydney has been there for a certain amount of time. I wasn't the only person getting like knocked right down as well it was um a lot of my colleagues were getting asked to go and join other startups um and i said no to a bunch of these other startups that were approaching me on linkedin and directly and then this one startup kept approaching me and at the about three or four months after receiving calls and emails and everything i showed it to my manager scott who yeah scott who wanted to be fun of yeah. yeah um and said this is like sort of what's happening and we we had a chat through it um 
and he helped me decide to take the role at Stripe, which was the company. Right, um, an Irish company, actually, the Collins and Brothers. So the yeah, yeah. They're the at that I think last year they were the two youngest billionaires. Yeah, ever. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually mates with them on Facebook. And right, okay. Every, every year I say happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, my, again, I put the acting off again to go and chase money because I'm in sales and that's what a salesperson does. Yeah. And I had blinkers on at that point. And well, if you get a good offer, it can be, yeah. And, and um, my previous manager, um, at, my very first manager at Google, Steve Riad, who's still at Google, um, he said to me, you only ever get to leave Google once. You only ever get to make that decision once. You can go back to Google, of course, and you're not, you're not put on a blacklist or anything like that. Yeah. But when you leave Google, that is your ticket to the very next level. And it's not just the next level, it's the next, you've jumped 10 levels, basically. Yeah. So when you leave Google as a Googler and you become an ex-Googler, you are worth so much more to other companies than what you are to Google at that point. Yeah. Um, and my my salary skyrocketed. It was stratospheric after right. I left Google. And that I understood exactly what he meant. Like, I can go back to Google now, but I'll never be able to quadruple what I'm earning yeah. in one go. <clears throat> um, and so that was also an easy decision. Um, I, Stripe promised me travel, promised me a great package, promised me owning my own patch, my yeah. own business, which is what I did. Uh, and it was great. I well, you it. you were the you were the first salesperson for Stripe in Australia, right? I was the first. You know, so what you and I have done at Google, I was yeah. the very first one of us in Australia. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gee, so you kind of like you could be half charged with bringing Stripe to Australia, or part <laughs> of the small team that did it. That's pretty cool. Um, so that was quite cool. They'd never hired a purely uh, purely a salesperson before. Right. They'd only ever really hired from the Bain McKinsey's of the world. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's your uh, alma mater, isn't it? Uh, no, I was doing the interviews and stuff for McKinsey. That's yeah, right. yeah, I was interested in them. Um, and so it was quite cool. They, I was involved in helping them like come up with a sales plan for all new salespeople that were to be hired and go on to that sales plan. Uh, and I got the cool title of head of sales for Australia and New yeah. Zealand and all that kind of stuff, which was really, really cool. Um, um, and once again, the, that's going to bump you up again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it... That's the thing. I think that's, um, and I've, I've, I'm going to skip over a good couple of years here, but that's what's helped me actually get to where you are now. To where yeah, I am now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so you did the Stripe, but then Stripe only lasted a while. Stripe, um, Stripe was for six months. Um, and I still have mixed feelings about leaving Stripe. Yeah. I left it because I, I wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't the sales that I thought I was getting into. Right. Um, and it's not right to call Stripe a startup when I joined. It was still worth almost a billion dollars at that point. Right, okay. But there are so many places, companies in Silicon Valley that are worth almost a billion dollars yeah. and never make it. I think that's the sweet spot to join a business in. So say you call a startup a kid, yep. you call a big company like Google an adult, yeah, a teenager. Getting mm. like somewhere just in between, like Airbnb a few years ago or Uber a few years, like I've been oh. talking two or three years ago. Yeah. Like where everyone knew what they were, but they weren't kings of the world yet yeah getting in a teenage because you got a bit of security you got a bit of cash in there to give you a good package um that's the game now though man like over in silicon valley as a salesperson or as an engineer you don't have to commit to a company in the long term because statistically the company that you're working for in yeah. silicon valley will go bust yeah but you will still make two hundred thousand dollars a year doing it and then you'll just jump on to the next startup that yeah. hires you and 
ultimately, whether you know it or not, you're being paid by the same 10 people who own all the venture capital. Funds, <laughs> yeah, probably. No yeah. matter where the money comes from. So if you are in that game over in California, you're set. Yeah. And in Ireland, there's a fair bit of that going on in Ireland at the moment too. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so mm. half our listeners are, are up there. Um, yeah, so you moved on from Stripe then, and you, I guess you really gave the, the acting a crack then. That was the whole point. Mm. Um, spoke to my manager at Stripe, and I said, I'm really, really unhappy with this at the moment, um, and I'd like to yeah. give this up. And she was really, really great about it. Um, so I helped with the transition for a couple of weeks after that, and then... Right the whole intent was to become an actor and do it properly and do a couple of refresher courses and sign up for some modeling agencies and some acting agencies and just get myself out there. Yeah. And of course... Yeah, guys, the, the reason I don't have a visual on this with uh, myself <laughs> sitting beside Reese. <laughs> um, yeah, so and were you doing it throughout the career? So like while at Google, mm. while at Stripe, were you still doing acting in, in, in shows or anything like that? Bits and pieces. Okay. But... Nothing like what I have been doing in the last two years. Yeah, okay. Um, and I, I, one of the regrets I have is that I left a really, really well-paying job and a really amazing lifestyle at that point mm. to become an actor, and I didn't do anything for like three months. No way. What'd I, you do? I just sat on my ass. No way. Yeah. What? Because I, I, the first day that I woke up and didn't have a job to go to... Um, Mind you, I still had the watches on the side as my side company, but the first day I woke up, it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. And I saw the world very differently. I didn't walk down the street with anything in my mind about, oh, I've got a couple of emails I've got to reply to, or anything like that. I had zero responsibility. So it was the most incredible feeling I've, I've had. Because I, I made sure I'd put away some money so I could live off that yeah. money for the next I'd, I'd accounted for doing it for four years right um, so I wasn't worried about uh, money and I was incredibly lucky obviously to have had a career that has yeah. enabled me to do that but not a worry in the world I didn't have to worry about anything at Jeez. all I did the opposite so I like I, I was I was comfortable and stuff as well but mm. I went full sergeant boot camp so I never set alarms I haven't set an alarm for about 18 months mm. apart from very rare mornings where I have to, to catch a flight or whatever obviously yeah. but I would set an alarm the first Monday I was after mm. leaving Google yeah. because I was like okay we're getting up at 6 we're making sure we don't sit back I banned myself from TV for two weeks <laughs> and I was like you're being productive during this time I'm, yeah. I wanted to set the pace mm. so you kind of relaxed into it and not not deliberately yeah it just happened well that's the thing it just happens you get comfortable yeah. you're like ah okay, yeah I'll watch another cartoon or whatever basically yeah. I, I just started going to the gym every day because I was trying to, oh, I need to be doing something all the time yeah um, I can't I find it very hard to sit still and well that's I what I'm like that's why I, I was never in danger of doing yeah. of, of going into how I met your mother binges or anything but I I filled the time with other things so what I would normally have called something productive which was coming up with a new idea and starting a new business on the side sort of yeah. thing. I just filled with um, like religiously watching the amount of food I would eat and measuring it and going to the gym every single day yeah, okay. and learning languages and like um, polishing my boots more regularly than I ever should have. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just And things like that to fill the time. Yeah. Because I find it very hard to be idle. And if I am sitting on the couch and I'm being idle, and, and Laura, my girlfriend, will always say this, I, I'm always on my phone. Right. If I'm watching a movie, and it's not because I'm not enjoying the movie and I'm not loving being next to her, 
It's because something on in that movie has piqued my interest and I want to learn about it. So yeah, okay. I'll sit on Wikipedia while the movie's on. So I'm a bit like that. People take the piss out of me because <laughs> I, I like ferociously take notes when I'm in the cinema. Because the <laughs> cinema is like, I just think it's this massive world for it. I don't know, it opens up my brain a lot. Yeah. And I just think of loads of random stuff in there and I always just take notes of or if I see something in the movie, like, Oh that's a great idea and then take it down and go off and explore it later on. Yeah. So I I'm kinda I'm a bit like that as well, but I, I try to leave the phone down when I get a chance. Um, yeah, fair enough. So I guess if we talk about that, the challenges of leaving uh, mm. a, a job productivity can be hard and, and there's two different approaches that we've taken. I deliberately said no TV alarms every morning which I hate mm. and which I'm actually against um, all this stuff like let's make sure and then I did mm. weekly goals as well um, you know kind of ambitious weekly goals that it would be a stretch to even do mm. but then if I got 8 out of 10 done 8 would be a bloody good week yeah absolutely um, that's my kind of my, my take on it I, I think the, the way I ended up overcoming that though was um, probably more of um, a guilt trip that I was getting from my parents like, right, so, okay. uh, what are you doing with your life at the moment yeah. kind of thing. and also all of my friends at that point giving me a whole lot of shit for being like retired I guess yeah. at that point um, and I don't know there was nothing that, uh, that spurred it there was nothing that changed it um, but I remember waking up I do actually remember waking up one morning and realising I actually have a company I, I own a company yeah. and I make watches well we're gonna yeah okay perfect uh, <laughs> let's do it. No, let's go watches okay. tell us all because I've got a lot of questions about the watches um I well the, the okay I'll go back a few years then to begin like basically I'll cut it short I started the watches while I was still at Google as a side project because when I was there in Google Sydney back then I think there were only maybe 400 people that worked there so I got to know a lot of people right everybody not everybody it's an exaggeration a lot of people had side projects yeah whether they were web developers on the side or they sold knitwear at the local markets yeah. whatever it might be but oh I've got to get onto this and I'd always been entrepreneurial my whole life yeah had like little businesses. well you were doing the t-shirts in, in uni as well so. yeah um so anyway a long long story short basically I ended up starting up a company with a guy called Joel who I had met through an ex-girlfriend who worked at a, le- a, a law firm, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, and anyway, we decided, I, I love watches, I always have, ever since I was a kid, I just have loved watches, and I don't know why. I still have my very first Mickey Mouse watch. Really, yeah? Nice. Um, and so, I remember um, my girlfriend broke up with me, and... I was sad and I wanted to go and buy myself something nice as a result like after the breakup. And I love watches and I, so I found this website online um, and I could design and customize my own watch. Went and did that, um, paid like, I think two or three hundred dollars, got it shipped over from Switzerland and I wore it to this party that Joel had invited me to. And at that point we were just drinking buddies and yeah. before. And I, and I said to him, and he was the only guy I knew at this party. He was like, man, you just come out of a breakup. Come to and meet all these new people and you'll love it. And yeah. have a, a good, good time. Showed him the watch and he said, I love that idea. That is so cool. I'm going to make one. And we ended up getting quite drunk um, that night. And he, he went off and did a few things with his friends. And I was going and doing things with uh, like new friends that I'd made talking shit at the right. party. And then the next day, um, he not accidentally he'd gone and got a company off the shelf which you can do here and he, from his law firm sorry if anyone's <laughs> listening 
to this, but he'd come up with the idea of starting a company. Huh. So um, I'd said to him, I'd love to make watches. Like, this is what I want to do sort of thing. And him being a business-minded person, yeah. drunkenly took this off-the-shelf company. We had to rename it and do all this kind of stuff later on because right. it had a, a generic name on it. But he was like, yeah, man, let's give this a go. Um, and sort of that's... I don't want to shorten the history of JDRT up until now with, and that's how we got here. Yeah. But um, that's essentially how we sort of got here. I, I made a watch drunkenly one night. He <laughs> created a company drunkenly one night. And the company, guys, is called JDRT, and it's very, very, they are very nice watches. So <laughs> check it out. Can you, they can check it out on Instagram and on the side as well. Yeah, it's, um, this is a great plug, www.jdrt.com, or you can check it out on Instagram. Just the same initials, JDRT. And do you deliver to online in England? Everywhere. Nice. Okay, go. Yeah. Um, there you go, guys. Coming into Christmas time. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you guys a discount. How about Mark 20 and you get 20% off? Mark 20 with a capital M? Yep. All capitals. All capitals. Mark 20, capital M. <laughs> you get a discount. There you go, team. Um, yeah. So, and John and I, we started this. and we, I would go... See, I told you this. He literally lived... Three doors down from you. Where oh, you yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. After Google, every night, I'd, we'd go back to his place and we'd be like coming up with different ideas and different color schemes and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, he ended up getting this crazy job offer to go and work over in the UK. Right. Um, and we were both like, okay, dude, like take it. The yeah. money's insane. You have to do this. Um, and sort of, he's taken a bit of a backseat since then. Um, and I'm now running the company. Yeah. Um, I, I can show you all the watches that I keep in the cupboard. Have you got a lot? I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how I do my picking and packing. Um, a lot of these guys are probably thinking, in, as you said, like a lot of the guys in Google have side projects. A lot of these, mm. a lot of the listeners here would be thinking, God, I wish I had something like that as well. Mm. You can't do watches, people. Nobody do watches. <laughs> but with these uh, physical goods, mm. what is the, what are the challenges? Like uh, getting them made and shipped and delivered and all that sort of stuff. It was such a fun process. Really? Like we, all of a sudden, like we were literally, I, I bought a 72 pack of Derwent pencils, which is, I don't know if you have the brand over in the UK or Ireland, but I was, I Derwent are these beautiful watercolor pencils that right, every okay. kid in year three wants because it's a, it's a status symbol with right. primary school. And I just started drawing and John and I started drawing. He's a terrible drawer. Um, and we just started coming up with, different shapes for watches, different shapes for bands or straps and all that kind of stuff. And then somehow, within like a week, we were like, shit, there's a really good flight to Hong Kong. Okay, let's see if there's any suppliers in Hong Kong we can go and visit. All right, we found like three or four. Let's just go and visit them up in China. So we, like, within the space of a week, somehow we'd ended up in Hong Kong and we're up in Shenzhen visiting factories and pretending we obviously were putting on like our suits and everything yeah. pretending we were like the real deal which we absolutely were not <laughs> um, and they were whining and dining us they were taking us out for lunch and all this kind of wow, stuff that's Shenzhen. so cool it was actually quite cool yeah. in retrospect we were shitting our pants <laughs> not in retrospect we absolutely were shitting our pants <laughs> yeah. at that time um, and that's how it started we, we had essentially committed wholeheartedly and fully at that point that we had paid for the flights because we'd set up a business account with Commonwealth Bank. We'd right, okay. done all the legals and all that kind of... Or Joel had. Uh, that, was his, that was his game. Um, 
And yeah, it was. And then from then, I'm in constant contact with my suppliers every single day. They use WhatsApp because Facebook's illegal over in. Oh yeah, yeah. There. But they're constantly WhatsApping me saying, um, "There's this new design or this new idea that we've got for you. What do you think?" Which is really quite cool. Um, and it means I get to go to Hong Kong every now and then. Yeah, geez, that's very cool. Fair yeah. play. That's uh, I, awesome. I am simplifying a lot of the process there. Like, yeah, sure. No, I think it's just good to get for these because. A lot of people, when they talk about setting up tech or companies now, mm. people just assume they're talking about tech companies, but there mm. are still are normal businesses out there for sure. Oh yeah, um, and it's it's profitable. Yeah, weirdly, it's retail and it's profitable. Yeah, people want to buy things that are handmade, and to be fair, like a lot of the parts are made over in in China. Yeah, but I assemble everything here in my apartment or what used to be my bedroom. Yeah. And people love that. People want to get their hands on something that you've actually created. And that's, that's something that drives me as a person, as we were talking before, creating something. Yeah. Seeing something come to fruition and like the effort and the love and the energy that you put into something, I get to see on my wrist every single day. And on a consumer's wrist, which would be the best feeling oh, in the okay. world. That, Someone appreciates your eye. I have not, this is, I, I, my life will be complete if I, in the wild, see someone wearing a JDRT watch. Yeah. It's yet to happen. But I think if I'm walking down the street and I see someone wearing a JDRT watch, I will be absolutely over yeah. the moon. Well, there you go, guys. Help a brother out. Mark, <laughs> Mark 20. Get on the side. That's right. Um, well, we're running out of time, so wrap up with a qu- couple of quick okay. fires now. Okay. Um, talking oh. about inspiration and, and all this sort of stuff. Who are Who is an inspirational person that you have met? That I have met. So inspirational person that I have met I'm going to pick a recent one and it's going to be a bit soppy I'm sorry but it is my girlfriend Laura right (laughs) she's a good egg I'll give you that guys Laura Jones was on episode (laughs) 4 ever since I've I've met Laura um, my outlook on on the world has changed in a really really positive way yeah Um, and it's given me renewed energy in JDRT, in my career, and just my relationships, the way I love, everything. Uh, and there aren't many people on this planet who I can say have done that apart from my mum, my, my dad, and my sister. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, I get to come home to someone who inspires me every day, which is really cool. And I get to wake up next to that person every yeah. single morning. Um, and the life that she's led up until this point is inspiring and I'm sure you can listen on <laughs> it's amazing episode yeah. 4 yeah um, it, it's an amazing life yeah it's actually kind of cool yeah really, and really I'll cool. actually chime in she's inspired me a lot as well um, yeah and unfortunately I don't get to work with her anymore but mm. um, she uh, the end she enjoys life I think more than anyone I've met but then also yeah. manages to do really well you know in terms of building a career and all that sort of stuff and, and yeah. I've never seen them juggle quite as well just happy and bubbly also. yeah it's awesome it's yeah. cool um, so wherever she is in the world there you go Laura <laughs> good on you for inspiring us um, someone you haven't met so like you know people you look at yeah. uh, we're actually having this discussion on a road trip that I took with Laura on the weekend um, Mary Curie Marie Curie Marie Curie, Marie she, Curie. Found, she discovered radiation yeah radium yeah. Right. Why? I don't know how I got onto this topic, but it was one of my Wikipedia black holes that I went into. Right. Okay. And like, there are millions of people that I would like to meet yeah. who, who are inspiring. Um, but she was incredible. 
two Nobel Prizes, um, discovered radiation, which like has led to so many breakthroughs in the world, some bad, some good. Um, obviously, I think probably inadvertently led to the atomic bomb, but also led to x-rays and led to yeah. um, cancer research and things like that. Yeah. Um, and what I thought was quite cool is her husband as well, Henri, I think. I remember studying this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did he, I remember they were both heavy hitters. Yeah, he, he was brilliant. He also won a Nobel Prize. I think shared it with her for chemistry or physics, I'm not sure. Did he die before her or something like that? Uh, that I don't know, but she died of... Um, uh, cancer yeah sure because yeah, of yeah. her close contact with yeah. her but then she comes from like oddly a family of Nobel Prize laureates no way yeah there's like six Nobel Prize winners in her family her extended family wow um, I think that's the ultimate yeah uh, achievement for a human I think so too yeah a Nobel Prize yeah um, I've just read a book by one a lot of people have read this uh, uh, maybe a book hasn't inspired me as much as this one actually hmm. Banker to the Poor by Muhammad Yunus okay. Scott Simpson recommended it no, okay. no, of course Good. <laughs> um, he's a Nobel Prize winner microfinancing banks all over the world phenomenal yeah, like okay. incredible and highly recommend to anyone out right. there so Marie Curie and, and Laura Jones good choices um, a book for you oh uh, okay I've got two but right. my, my favourite, weirdly, my favourite book of all time was one I used to read over and over and over and over again. It was a Roald Dahl book called The Wonderful Adventures of Henry Sugar. Right, okay. Um, I remember Dahl, I don't remember this book. Okay. It was before, I think, the, you know, James and the Giant Peach and all yeah, that. Yeah, okay. But this book, I would get engrossed in these stories. And you know when you read a good book and you're there? Yeah. Like inside that book? Yeah. I can now, even though I haven't read it in maybe 15 years or longer, I can still visualize every single chapter in that book yeah so whenever anyone asks what's your favorite book i pick that one because i just have so many fond memories of it Fair enough. but um one of my favorite books that i've read is catch 22 Catch 22 yeah i've seen the cover a lot i see the cover all the time in bookshops it's got like a red red and black cover i think is it yeah i think it was it's part of that penguin yeah okay. Oh, penguin. sorry yeah okay um it's just such a great book what does it do for you um it's this nihilistic view on the world written from the point of view of I think it's I haven't read it in a while now but the protagonist in it is a guy called Yossarian right who is desperate to get out of um, the Air Force right and the only way he can he's worked out to get out of the Air Force is to be proved uh, certifiably insane right but and I think that is the case in most armed forces anyway in reality but the only way for you to say that you're insane is to sign a document saying that you're insane but you can only do that if you're sane. So therefore, oh God. Yeah. the catch-22 <laughs> yeah. is that you can never, ever leave the Air Force. Right, um, okay. But it follows the adventures of, of Yossarian, and it just has, it's, it makes me laugh, it makes me cry. Yeah, um, I love that. I love a, any, a book, a story, an interview, a speech, anything mm. with a, a, a large emotional range yeah. where it tickles you at the top and it tickles you at the bottom. I think that's a very cool thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'll put that on my list now as well. Cool. Um, a quote, a quote that you live by or have heard or anything like that. Oh, um. So my, I, I always throw one in just because I love them. Yeah. Um, my f number one favorite, I think I even have it on my LinkedIn, hmm. is one that I. It was at the end of a book that I was given, and the book is written by a guy called John Dewar. Yeah. And all the light we cannot see. That's the name of the book, mm -hmm. a German one. And the quote is brilliant, and it's. Open your eyes and see all you can with them, 
for one day they will close forever. Ooh. And I just thought, yes, I like that. that is perfect. And it lines up with your theory earlier on, on, yeah. on you know, get out there. Yeah. Open your eyes, see all you can with them. For one day they'll close forever. Before you kick the bucket. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, there are lots of quotes that I love. Yeah. Um, I really like that one. I'm going to get you to write that down for me. <laughs> okay. um, but I... So, um, the Thomas family, we have a, a motto and it is, um, he who conquers himself conquers all. Right. Um, which I don't think is um, alone ours, but... Yeah. Um, oh, claim. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's ours. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I quite like that because um, to know yourself truly, to know thyself truly, yeah, and and know yourself inside and out is something that I still don't yet. Yeah. At the moment, um, but I really like the idea that once you have complete control over yourself, and you may not ever, but if you know yourself so deeply and so truly then you can do anything. Yeah. I think. That would be, that. that's like, I guess, a central pillar of Buddhism, I would say, as well. Mm. So you, you might have a lot of Eastern people there arguing the, the <laughs> source of that quote, but keep it to the Thomas's. Yeah, that's um, right. Well, look, it's been awesome. Really cool discussion there in the yeah. middle as well. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Absolute man. pleasure. Let's go get some burgers. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Okie doke. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I love the bit in the middle where we just went completely off course and kind of talked about different theories on life i'd love to hear your opinions on those and any other theories you guys have uh, please pm me or comment on the podcast on facebook and we can hopefully get a conversation going because i'd love to open it up into this sort of area a little bit more as well but obviously i'm trying to do this for uh, the students and grads so if that's not what you want let me know if it is let me know and we can work around that other than that, uh, I think there was a couple of takeaways in there, like working well in uni and keeping an open mind. But I'll leave you to decipher what it is that you want to take away from it. And we'll be back next week with a new episode.